Well, good morning, everybody. You want to stand up? We'll start singing. I heard an old, old story How the Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save someone like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood's atonement then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Let's hear it. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He Beneath the cleansing flood I heard about his healing Of his cleansing power revealing How he made the lame to walk again And caused the blind to see Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his So we'll just have everybody turn, face the other side. We don't have to shake hands, but just wave to each other. There you go. That's good. Left side, this is right side. But I uh, hope everybody's doing well. Um, good to be with you all. Unfortunately, it's snowing again. So luckily we have this nice, dry, warm room to meet in. Praise God. So um, uh, we'll pray, and uh, we'll sing another song. Father, we're here for you this morning, uh, for you and because of you. Um, so we pray that everything that happens in this place this morning is for you and your kingdom alone. Uh, that every word we sing, every word we hear, uh, we contemplate, God, that, um, that 
surpasses our own pride, just gets to our heart, because it is ultimately for you and for our own good. So I pray that we all take a step closer to you today. We praise you and we thank you so much for this church and what it means to us, this body, um, and how we can come together and lift you up and grow closer to you and go from this place and be a brighter light for you. We pray for the youth this morning as those seeds are planted and intended. We thank you for all the volunteers helping there and for all of us in here again today, God. We just pray that our hearts and minds are open to what you're trying to teach us. We pray for Leonard on that and for clarity of mind as he brings his word. We love you, God. We have a lot of craziness going on in our lives, a lot of people here hurting, broken, um, just questioning things. But I pray that we push past all of that and know that you are at the center of everything, that we can get through everything, not by strength, our own strength, or by you giving us strength, it's by us realizing we have no strength and just falling completely into your arms, God. You are our strength us through it, so we love you, we praise you for that, and that's why we're here. Let's let this next song let's sing. of all that remains stuck in doubt and pain here in this prison of shame and lies a song will arise even when my heart is breaking even when I don't know what to do, even when my world is shaking, you are still God, still I will worship you.
my soul will sing it is well with me hallelujah before the victory it is well with me and have a seat, everyone. It's great to be with you guys on this first day of the week, and you guys online as well. Howdy. Hope everybody's doing well, and hopefully uh, after you leave here today, uh, your spirit will be refreshed. I know that every time I'm, I'm with you guys, it's always like a, it's, a, it's an uplifting experience. There's just something about being around other people that takes your mind off of your cares and helps you to kind of uh, find that joy again. And uh, I really appreciate that after being away uh, during the time of quarantine, and I, and I definitely look back on those moments and think about, wow, what a blessing it is to just gather. We, we don't always count our blessings, do we? Um, you, mentioned, you remember me mentioning last week about my water situation? Oh, man. And a lot of people have asked, how is your, uh, how's your water doing? And I'm like, well, how bad am I smelling right now? So about five days into it, notwithstanding a trip to Illinois for 36 hours and coming back for a funeral, um, we do have water. So I'm just celebrating that. I'm not living outside our house because somebody needs water and they're like, we're going to chuck you out until you get it sorted out. Um, it's amazing how much you use water all the time. 
And, you know, it makes you think about just people that don't have access to it, like us Ohioans. You really appreciate it. Uh, some people are going to say, well, what, what was the problem? And I pretty much looked at everything except the last thing, which was a bad breaker. There we go. Five days, no shower, bad breaker. Who'd have thought? But turned the tap on last night. I'm like, look at that water. Went to bed last night, and I thought, okay, um, hope I don't have nightmares about not having water. Woke up this morning, had two nightmares. Turn the tap on, nothing comes out. So trauma, for sure. But in the broad scheme of things, um, God provided. And as we think about just the pains and the sufferings and the difficulties, uh, we also have to bundle that with thanking God for just the everyday blessings. And I'd just like to know if there's anything you guys are celebrating today, anything that is good, that is on your heart or mind that you want to just share? Nothing? I'm going to assume you guys are just being shy, okay? Because uh, plenty to celebrate. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and find out if there's any prayer concerns. Nothing. You guys are all prayed up. You're all celebrated out. Well, then let's just go ahead. Oh. Okay. Okay, I, I, I didn't hear that completely. Okay, is that Matthew? I can't tell. Okay. Well, we'll definitely be praying for you. That's very hard. Yeah, we don't forget, do we? Okay. Yeah, Pat? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're right in the thick of it right now. Yeah, so they just got to turn around and come back. Today's a big day. So if you have a high schooler that's in band, um, your kids should be in Florida. If they're not in Florida and they're not at home, that's another concern. <laughs> All right? How about you guys up there? Okay, everybody's good. I want to mention that um, Rob Coffey is going to have a surgery on March the 7th. So please be praying for Rob leading up to that um, because I know that uh, he's a little nervous, but I appreciate his courage and um, just his willingness to be the Lord's servant in the in the in between time, it's pretty amazing. Okay, well, let's go ahead and, and and bow then and take all this before the Lord. Father, we are here for a variety of reasons, and we thank you that you call us into a place where we can center our lives around your Son. And Lord, we are thankful that we have this to say about our religion or faith or whatever a person would like to call it. It's that we are not alone. We are not alone because you promise that you're with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. And even when we've shut the door on you, you're just outside knocking, waiting to come in and to shower us with your love and compassion and blessing. 
And Father, thank you when we open the door and we invite you in. Your job isn't to take away, but to add even more. But sometimes you do prune things out of our lives, Father, and that is painful. But yet we understand that you have a greater purpose. And so we want to come today in a spirit of surrender, trusting that whatever we hear in terms of your voice speaking to us, whether it's through me or the music or the person sitting next to us, that we would pay attention and perhaps if it fits, we would, we would see you working in it. And I pray for those who need encouragement today that they would find it. And for those that you are working on that refining processes are happening, may your grace be sufficient there that we are not demoralized in, in the pruning, but we are also um, brought into that place where you see us become who we are in Christ. And Father, just help us as we, we gather around your word that we could hear you speak. Help me to say it in a way that is consistent with your will and your purpose. Thank you, Father, for helping this church to be who we need to be post-quarantine. And help us, Lord, to be um, uh, attentive to whatever pathways you're unfolding your purposes through this church. Uh, and, and that may be different than what we've done before. But just help us to see the pathways that are leading to the lives that you want to touch through this body. I thank you, Lord, for the things we, we celebrate, maybe silently, but definitely appreciatively. And I thank you, Father, for being with us when we remember loved ones that have passed on in our grief and seasons where we are prompted to think about a mother passing away and that sense of loss. I pray that you would be that ministering presence. And I thank you for being with Rob and just helping him and the struggle that he's had to regain his health and his capacities again. I just ask, Father, that you would bless him in that journey. I thank you, Lord, that you have um, been in the lives of our people here in ways that are subtle and in the ways that are dramatic. And so we ask, Lord, in all of these things that you would continue to align our hearts and our minds with your good purpose. So would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, today we're looking at the book of Luke once again, and we're turning to chapter 13, and we're going to be uh, exploring a little bit more uh, the journey that Jesus is going on from uh, up in Galilee through Samaria and then down to uh, the southern part of the country where the capital city is, Jerusalem. And that really is his destiny. And along the way, he's trying to reveal what God is up to and show bodily through his own actions, his own response to people, his own heart, where God is in relation to where the people are. And I think one of the most significant things to take note of is that when people are hurting and they are broken, and perhaps hurting and broken for reasons that are physical trauma or reasons that are the result of 
emotional pain that they carry. Jesus is very in tune with that, and the Scripture is, is pretty clear regarding where his heart is at towards those who need God the most. And one of the interesting things about being a pastor is you start to learn a lot of different aspects of what it means to, to live life here on earth. And I pastorally have spoken with a, a number of people over the years who had physical ailments, things that um, they couldn't quite get past, that as they kind of unfold their story, you find that there is something that um, is in the back of their mind that they carry with them that has manifested in the physicality of, 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 of different ailments and pain, some mysterious, some defined. So much so that uh, it's become pretty clear to me that what we learn here in our heads also affects our bodies. I mean, the, bo the body actually is the metaphor that God uses to say Jesus is the head and that we are the physical expression of all the things that Jesus tells us. But there are a lot of things that we face in life that we go through that tell us things that... Um, we don't always want to be reminded of. And I'll just illustrate this for a second. In, in, in kind of pastorally exploring this, I, I read a story about a, a lady uh, from Boston whose name was Marsha. And she was a 40-year-old school teacher. And she went to uh, pick up her daughter at day camp one day. And daughter got in the car, and um, they started driving down the road. And the daughter was chatting with her about all the things that she learned at day camp that day. And the mother just happened to glance over and see that the seatbelt of her daughter was, was not hooked up. And as she reached down to, to uh, uh, fasten it for uh, the safety of her daughter, she ran a red light. A car smashed into her, and her daughter was instantly killed. And on top of that, um, to add insult to injury, she, she lost her unborn child as well. And what happened to her life was um, that, that was a, a pivotal moment where through, uh, th through time and through memory, uh, she started to change in her attitude towards life. The shame, which, which she just could not unburden herself with, manifested in uh, all kinds of physical problems. At first, it was just sleeplessness. And then it went to being diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And then a whole variety of other familiar things that you've heard of, just one after the other after the other, started showing up in a body that was otherwise healthy prior to that experience. And so what's happened in, 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 the, in, in recent history is psychologists and counselors and doctors have started looking at the connection between the body and the mind. And they've gone so far as to say with all these capabilities of diagnosing things and all the different testing uh, apparatuses like CT scans and, and uh, things of that nature, MRIs, they discovered that the body actually has a brain here, 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 these are just sort of like extensions of the brain and how the brain works. Did you know that? And, and, and so in effect, what's happening is this part is talking to this part as well as talking to this part, and they say that the brain is actually located in a few other places in the body as well. Very strange, isn't it? Because we've always been taught, here's the brain, here's the body. Brain tells the body what to do, but it's more complicated than that. 
So for the last 141 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, uh, there's this book that um, people have been reading. And they've been thinking about their own problems and their own ability to deal with the tra traumatic pains and how they find manifest manifesting in their own body diseases that they never had before that pain. And so there's a guy named uh, Basil van der Klok, if I pronounced that right. If you're Dutch and I butchered it, I'm, I'm English. So he wrote a book called The Body Keeps Score. And 27 weeks, it was number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And then there's some other books that kind of follow his basically insights because he's taken what people are learning in, um, in, the, in the scientific disciplines regarding the brain and the, and the body. And he's taken what people are learning in counseling and he's applying that. All of this to say that when we have something going on up here, whether it's shame or guilt or apathy or fear or pain, the likelihood of that showing up elsewhere in your body is almost 100%. And he illustrates that well in this book, uh, but he also gives an illustration. So if you're a nerd and you really want to know what he's talking about, here's a graphic. There you go. Oh, my goodness. Cover your eyes. Because he's, he's essentially saying these are the parts where the different mini-brains are in your body. And so when there's pain up, up in the brain... The whole body starts to manifest unusual and sometimes mysterious types of illnesses. Why am I saying all of that? Because I think when Jesus came into the world, one of his, one of his callings, if you will, was to respond to not just the spiritual redefining of what it means to be the people of God, to show what it means to teach it from the mouth of God himself, but he's also there to heal body, mind, and soul, which he does. And I have to believe as a pastor that part of our mission, our responsibility, is to include that when Jesus saves you, he's not just saving you from the neck up. He's saving you as a person, top to bottom. And instead of the shame and the guilt that a person like Marsha would manifest, he's saying there's forgiveness. There is even hope for sweet reunion with loved ones that died tragically under those conditions of reconciliation. And when Jesus says those things, it's a different message than what they've heard about church. And as we're reading his accounts as told by Luke and John and Matthew and Mark, we're finding that he was aware of a whole lot more. So let's just go into the story for a second, because I also know that there are people in this room who are probably affected by those kind of traumas, and maybe this has a word for you. So here we go. On a Sabbath, take note, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. And some translations say a spirit of weakness. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. I could, I could just hear an evangelist saying, Be thou loosed! 
you know, but that would be me in another form in another kind of church, but here you are. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. 18 years, bent over, going to church every Sunday or every Saturday in the synagogue, and she's just kind of suffering through it, not really believing that God can help her, and Jesus sees all of that pain in her eyes. I want you to be aware of something. Not every illness or debilitation is tied to Satan. But when he strikes, we need to be assured that in God we can face and overcome whatever comes our way. And I want to say this because there is a connection between the spirit that this woman has and the evil one. But I think a lot of times the evil one's kind of working indirectly. He's taking that shame and he's saying, yeah, you did this, because he's the accuser. It's his job to point out where we, where we fail. He loves it. And so can you imagine her walking through the day, hearing that voice? Because we don't know her story. But I'm guessing something happened. I would almost bet something happened. Everybody knew her from the community. They saw her every day. And there was probably a story that happened about 18 years ago that she can't forgive herself for. If not, I know there are a whole lot of people that that is the case. And if you are responsible for the death of a child in that way, I know there's a special form of compassion that God has for you. And I know that there's probably people in this room who have had tragedies that you feel bad about and you carry that burden. And I know that Jesus' aim is to help you recognize evil is, is, no question, evil is at work in our hearts, but it's also an active agent outside of us trying to pile on and trying to demoralize and dehumanize our humanity so that we're walking around bent over all the time because we don't know the truth. We don't know the love. We don't know the Lord. And so Satan is either actively uh, an agent in this or he is somewhere in the background just kind of coming alongside every once in a while and saying, yeah, you screwed up, didn't you? Jesus knows that. And he's taking it on head on in, of all places, a religious environment. So as he's doing that, we have to stop back and consider something. That a church, because of the posture of Jesus' heart towards women like her, the church is a community where people should and can be made to feel whole even when they suffer from physical brokenness, oftentimes related to things that we've just mentioned. We should be, of all places, a safe community. A place where we check our pride, a place where we check our gossip, a place where we check our untrustworthiness. A place where when we come in and we gather, we say, all of us are the same at the foot of the cross. I've been in trusting relationships, and the more I trust somebody, the more I'm able to unburden that stuff inside of me that's painful. 
And I know the church by design is supposed to be that space, but oftentimes it can only happen in small groups of people. And that's why being in a small group is so important, especially a group of people that you trust, that you know they're not going to go and gossip about you after they've shared their soul, which has happened. But they know that whenever you share what is on your heart, they're saying to themselves, even before the Me Too moment, Me Too. I didn't know. I thought I was the only one. And I know we can be that kind of church because I've seen that happen. And it's been amazing to see the healing that occurs within the body. Jesus is trying to break some ground here. And as he does so, there's a problem. Because what he's doing is not authorized or acceptable. And you're like, what? Well, let's just read what is happening. So Jesus says, or uh, Luke writes in verse 14, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. I can't believe you did that. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not this day. All right, something not quite resonating with you here? It shouldn't. Because the Sabbath is an interesting idea. It goes all the way back to the beginning, doesn't it? It's the seventh day, God rested, everything rested, everybody rested. It's the creational purpose. But, you know, there's a story about how the people were stuck in Egypt for about 400 years, and they got amnesia. They forgot who they were, what they were about, what they were called to do. They were delivered miraculously by God in ways that are just simply mind-boggling. And they were brought to a place, a staging area for the promised land, and they were told, I'm going to help you to remember who you are, going all the way back to Abraham. And I want you to live a way of life that says, this is how people who know God live. So he gives them the Ten Commandments, as you know, and it's a way of describing sort of the, the agreement, the boundaries of how the relationship should work. And bundled into that description is a command in Deuteronomy 5.13, which says, six days you shall, not, you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Let's just stay right there for a second. All right, so if I'm the synagogue leader, I'm the rule keeper, I'm reading this, and I've been taught by rabbis who taught those rabbis who taught those rabbis that this is how you keep the Sabbath. You don't do anything on the Sabbath. And they got all kinds of descriptions about what you can and can't do. And it's just so tedious. By the time the bureaucracy ends, you're like, I don't even know what to do. I'm not even going to get out of bed. But what's interesting is the why behind the Sabbath. Why is it there to begin with? Well, if you don't take that verse in isolation and you look at the next one, we see something. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, why does he command them? It's to commemorate the fact that they have been set free. If there is ever a day of the week that you take time to remember, I've dedicated one day for you to say, ah, yeah, 
we should never forget. We meet on the Sabbath, and we remember we were slaves, we were broken, we were bent over, backs aching, collapsing because of the heavy burden that was placed on us. But God straightened us out and gave us a new chance. And so Jesus is doing something intentionally on the Sabbath to make a point. It's not the first time that he does it. So as he does it, he says, um, I want you to see something. You have been so caught up in rule following and asking, ever since the time we were in Babylon, what did the teachers say about how we understand the law? What did those teachers say to the teachers that they were training? And then so on and so on and so on, and eventually they just started writing down all the, all the rules. So much so that there were so many rules, they ran out of paper. No, they didn't. They didn't have any paper. Um, they just looked at something like the Sabbath, and they said, it's about don't. And Jesus wanted to remind them, your rules are getting in the way because they are too caught up in something that is not the main point. The main point is, God is in the business of looking at humanity and saying, I created them, they are lost, they are broken, and there are actually forces of evil that are trying to undo them. It is my heart's desire to see them restored. That is my primary mission in revealing all the stuff I've revealed in the Old and the New Testaments, to see one day that I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell with them and they will dwell with me. But these guys are like, hey, rules. And I'm not against rules if the rules, if you understand why the rules were written in the first place. But when you forget when the, why the rules were written, then I have a problem with that based on what I see Jesus doing. And so he says, okay, let's figure out what this is all about. And he kind of tackles them a little bit. But I just want to stop for a second and just make it clear. We must be careful not to let our pursuit of religious practices, whatever they may be, and I'm not downing religious practices, they're very important. But according to our preferred custom and letting that outweigh the question, why are we doing these in the first place? And every generation has to ask that question. Otherwise, you're like the, you're like the woman who is uh, uh, making a, a roast, and before she puts it in the oven, she cuts off both sides of it and then sticks it in there. And then she cooks it, and somebody said, well, how come you cut off both ends of the roast? And she said, well, that's how my mother taught me to do it. So one day she asked her mother, why is it that we cut off both ends of the roast? And the mother said, our oven was so small it wouldn't fit. I don't know if she kept doing it or not, but hopefully she clued in. Now, here's what Jesus said. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath 
untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? He's just asking a question. What's more important? Your ox, should they be unbound so they can do their thing? Or should she be unbound so she can live her life? So what I hear you saying is, it's okay to unbind them, but she's not worth near as much as they are, so keep her there. How do you like that, women? That's what he's saying. But what's Jesus doing? You know, there is no example in my study on this of the usage of the title for a female prior to this moment, a daughter of Abraham. It's not written in any of the literature, any of the intertestamental stuff. There's, a, there's one vague reference. Why does he say, you are a daughter of Abraham? Because it validates her identity. It's a recognition that she is a daughter of the family of God. She can get up every day and look in the mirror, and no matter what the accusation is, for whatever she's done or not done, she can look in whatever version of the mirror they have and say, ah, but Jesus says, I'm a daughter of Abraham. I'm a child of you, God. How many women look everywhere else but to that to find worth? And I would say if you're looking everywhere else to get validated, there's nothing wrong with social validation, by the way. It's definitely supplemental and affirming, but it is not your go-to. God is the only relationship that is totally and undeniably trustworthy and reliable. And when God says, you're a daughter, you're a son, it's up to you to let the devil come in and say, no, you're not. What I think you have to do is say, no, I am every day. I rehearse that, and I tell myself, I am a child of God, and the world may be kind to me, the world may beat up on me, but I know in his eyes, I'm special. I'm not alone. I don't know if that fits your definition of good news or not, but when other references say you're a son of God, it certainly does me. So she claimed that, and she stood up. And whatever it was that was keeping her down disappeared. It lost whatever power it had over her. That's pretty cool. Because you remember Jesus' first sermon on the Sabbath? He opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has 
anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's his mission. And this lady is a recipient of that mission. Now, why is that important? Because it would appear that when Jesus sees her, he actually sees God's people. From God's point of view, when he's looking at Israel, they are bent over from the oppressive yoke of the Romans and then the Greeks and then the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians. But it's not just that. They are bent over from the fact that their understanding of what it meant to be a, a worshiper of God and God's people got caught up in the bureaucracy of the rules. And they no longer felt they could even access God that well. Again, I'm not against rules. Only the ones that don't fall back on their original meaning behind why they were given in the first place. You need rules or you, don't, or you have chaos. And Jesus looks at this gal. He unbinds her. And I think Luke is trying to signal something here. It is a symbol to Israel and everyone else that would follow that if you feel a yoke of oppression, if you feel bent over, if you feel disconnected from God, Jesus is the way to wholeness, to healing, to resolving all those things that can't otherwise be resolved. So... The body knows. And when he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Why? Because all of a sudden, what they were doing was just like, of course, of course. That's what I've been looking for forever. You know, the sidebar, one of the conversations the elders are having is, we have a lot of people that don't want to come back to church. We have people that will probably join cults that will probably crop up because there will be a spiritual longing. And our concern is, how is it that we as a church can prevent that from happening? And our hope is, as we're following these teachings of Jesus, and as we're following the Lord's prayer, and we're asking in sincerity for that prayer to be answered in our lives, as we're following what the church was in Acts 2, or what the expression of the church as it functioned in Ephesians 4, and the commission of the church in Matthew 28, those four passages of Scripture, it's all we've been talking about for a year. Because it reminds us of why we're doing what we're doing. And as Luke is sharing this stuff, it resonates with why we're doing what we're doing. And our call in this season is to, is to, is to ask you what God is calling you to do. Because there is a lot of bent over brokenness 
occurring in the lives of the people around me, and I got to thank you. And we know the answer. It's not like the Sunday school, you know, kid who was asked the question, um, you know, what, um, how, how, many, how many days uh, did God create, you know, the earth? And he says, I know the answer is six, but I'm going to say Jesus because that's the answer, right, Jesus? Well, I don't know if that carried well, but the point is Jesus is the answer. There's just no way around that. We can follow the teachings, but if we're not attached to him, then we're just starting another bureaucratic movement. I really think Jesus scared these guys because they were pretty content about the way life was working, and as the deck was stacked, it was sort of in their favor. And it was a nice little gig, and Jesus is calling them out to the point where he's going to, what's going to cost him his life? Because we know where this is going. We've read Luke before, or the story. And so I guess if there was a main idea in the story, it's this. The story, this is a story in which a bent-over woman is made to stand up straight while Jesus' opponents are doubled over in shame. Because he reminds them, why, why are we doing the Sabbath to begin with? Why was the rule written for the start? And they're like, well, because we were set free from Egypt. Why isn't this woman healed? But your donkeys are set free. What's interesting is if you read in Luke chapter um, uh, 14, verses 1 through 6, Jesus walks into the synagogue, heals on the Sabbath. There's a guy there, not well, heals on the Sabbath. And he asked him a question. What do you guys think? You know what the answer was? That, that was the answer. You can't deny it. And it's pretty hard medicine for those guys. Some paid attention, some didn't. And sometimes it's even hard medicine for us. You know, Derek and I were talking about how he's retired. I've just gone through COVID like you. I forget what day it is sometimes. I forget where to fit things because the routine is not what it used to be. You know, the routine is so important as a placeholder for putting everything else into order. Try mixing no water for a week. You're like, get up and I've got to take a Oh, no. Shower. Don't no, shower, people. Where's your minds at? Okay. I got to wash my hands because, um, you know, stepped in dog poop. Um, all of the little things that require something to be in place, whether it's a water system or whether it is a system of a weekly rhythm, you take that out, you fall apart. But do you know what the answer is? I must, my, hear, my hearing must be going bad. Now, uh, should be Jesus, correct answer. There's a great reversal happening in this story. And it's actually happening in each of our lives because we were taught to look at life a certain way, take our cues from other people, and behave accordingly. And Jesus says, take your cues from me and live your life in the way that I'm showing you. And that's a different way of redefining your life here on earth. Well, we're going to land the plane here in a second. So let's do this. 
Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden, which I'm kind of doing right now because I'm the gardener from last week. And I mix it in with 60 pounds of, of um, wait a second, <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm mash, mishmashing these together, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree and the birds perched on its branches. So essentially he's saying, I'm starting small here in the synagogue, but this thing eventually is going to blow up. And he's saying that for the disciples who aren't sure where this is going. They see Jesus die, and they may be saying, hey, that was a good run, but business as usual. He's saying, no, I want you to be aware that when I start something, and if conditions are cooperative, I'll continue to grow it. As I've seen it happen in so many of your lives, it's taken time. But having been here 16 years, it's been very rewarding for people who have said yes to Jesus. It's been very cool. I mean, well worth it. And again, he says, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour, and it worked through the dough. And, well, you had Bread. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders who are getting it wrong. He's talking to a woman that needs somebody to say, be healed of your whole being. Starting with your heart, then your mind, your body, through a bloodstained cross that's broken as a body. So your body could be made whole. And as Jesus is saying that, he's saying, and if you're, if you're tracking with me and you, and you feel like all the bells and whistles didn't manifest in the moment, so therefore it must be wrong, don't go there. Because the work that Jesus does in your heart starts small. But he doesn't stop tending to that seed or that thing that he put in your life. He doesn't give up. I can remember vividly when the Lord started talking to me. I was a freshman in high school on the bus. Just an overwhelming sense of God saying, pay attention to me. And I had an overwhelming sense of, what's going on? But then I just put it aside. And he would just show up here and show up there and show up there and show up there. And he'd say, pay attention to me. And finally, five years later, I just said, all right, you got my attention. 35 years later, you guys are stuck with who now? Leonard Moore's our pastor? Who'd have thought? But it's not me, it's God. I've, I've tried to quit this job a number of times. I got to just share that over the years. Try to work in a factory, try to do something different. And I shared this at my aunt's funeral. Um, who gave me these theology books when I said I was going to Bible college and gave me suits when I came out here and just said, I'm going to enable you, however. God does things in people's lives that sometimes are larger than ourselves in, your, in, in this calling. But the thing is, the word calling applies to everybody. I'm just called to a particular task. I'm no greater or lesser than anybody else. I just have a job. And it's 
it's the only place I fit. But it's because this happened in me, and it is happening in you. So I just wonder as I end, if God's, have, if God's people, that is us, have any priority, it should be the commitment to live, relate, and serve in a way that honors him and what he did in his posture towards people that were lost and broken. That's what Jesus is asking us to do, to be an extension of that very thing. And so the bottom line is, Jesus tells us these parables to call for trust. He is building the kingdom, and people should trust. We tend to think of faith as just, hey, I believe in Jesus. But it's more than that. It is, I believe in Jesus, therefore I trust him in every set of circumstances, even when it doesn't make sense. I should trust that it will come even through, even though the movement starts out looking so insignificant. And First Christian Church, it's our time. It's our time to say yes to God's kingdom agenda. For those of us individually, it is time for us, perhaps, as God has been working in your heart, to say, I, I do want to be identified as a daughter of Abraham, as a son of Abraham, which is another way of saying Christian or child of God. And we want you to be a part of this family. And we want to make it as safe as we can, but we don't expect you to trust us out of the gate until you find that we are trustworthy. And the way we are trustworthy is to keep Jesus at the center and keep ourselves off to the side. Not an easy order. It's a daily order, but it's worth it. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the attention of all the people that are gathering here today. I pray, Father, that the things that I've shared would be an expression of your purpose, but I also pray that it wouldn't be a waste of their time that your word would not return void, but it would do its good work like a seed or like leaven and just unfold by your timetable. I pray for those who have trauma that's created shame or guilt. I pray that they could discover at a bloodstained cross healing, forgiveness, and hope. I pray, Father, for those of us who've just been rebellious and willful, that you would just keep nagging at us until we see what we're supposed to see. We know you care for us that much that you will. I pray for those who just need some encouragement along the way that they found it. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would keep you in the center. I just thank you, Father, for giving us your son showing us the way. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you like to begin opening your cups, please? Go ahead. Um, Leonard spoke of 
the establishment of the Sabbath. Um, so that God's people would go through life continually focusing in and remembering. So in a way, this is what we're accomplishing right now. This is the, one of the sacraments that Jesus left us. The sacraments are what anchor this whole thing. The sacraments anchor the word you just heard because it causes us to focus on the main thing that we forget if we don't continually, intentionally remember. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he does something here. He said, take it, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. None of us can stand before God without our sins being forgiven. Um, and Jesus' blood accomplishes what none of our works and our religious activities will do. So as you take of this, the substance of what's happening in your faith as you remember him is the important part. It's not that you take it. Any unbeliever can take of this. But Christians remember their Savior who accomplished what we should never forget. And so we remember him and anchor our lives and live free of sin that he would forgive us of if we just confessed it here and now by the taking of this. So, Father, thank you that you have established this. And your son, thank you, Jesus, that you have given us a new covenant of for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that you have come to accomplish the forgiveness of sins by your shed blood, along with so much more. Help us to walk in resurrection, life, and newness thereof because of what you accomplish. Help us to come through the cross, not jump in some side window or over some fence. We go through the cross. We remember you. We lay our sin down. And we walk in newness of life because there is no sin that the cross can't handle. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you underwent all that you did and all of your suffering to accomplish good things for people that don't deserve it. Such love. our sin is the ultimate thing that bends our backs. May we walk out of here a little straighter, healed. And in, as we go from this place, and as sin creeps in and convinces us of things that are hard to think of now in the time of communion, <laughs> on some Tuesday from now, Help us to remember the same Savior and have the same conversation and walk in the same newness of life on a Tuesday afternoon and every day they're following. It's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen.
and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide, where all the love I've ever found comes like a comes flowing down at the cross at the cross I surrender my life I'm in all of you I'm in all of you where your love ran red and my sin washed white I owe I owe all to you, Jesus. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless. Where my heart peace with God and forgiveness where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood comes flowing down at the cross at the cross I surrender
Thank you for all that you are accomplishing in your church. As the word of God is preached, you are working. And by it, you are healing and drawing and fixing and encouraging and on and on. Thank you that you are working. Help us to lay hold of your word all the more, Lord. And by the truth, we are set free. And it's for your 